0: another duchy in tiny little victories. Hello, I am Sabine de Witte. I am Chief of Staff at Fintech Dust Network. And as you already noticed, the Netherlands was very popular by our host, Jennifer Kite-Powell. Thanks for having me. Funny enough, that is not where we met. So join us for some time travel on our journeys from PR to wines, all the way to financing like technology, and we're forever connected through for food. Enjoy the listen.
1: Hey friends, welcome back to Tiny Little Victories. I'm your host, Jennifer Kite Powell. Thank you so much for coming to the podcast today. I want to also do a little tiny bit of housekeeping and just thank everybody from the bottom of my heart for all your sharing. You guys are like share monsters out there. I've been seeing so many amazing posts about the stories you've been sharing about Darren Keeler, Jamila Knowles, and I love it that you're really interested in other people's stories because we're all human still. (laughs) And I think that it's really empowering to hear other people's journeys and other people's stories. And so thank you for that. Today's guest is Sabine DeVita. Okay. You guys know I don't speak Dutch, right? So anything I say is going to sound a lot mangled. But Sabine, the chief of staff for the Dusk Network in the Netherlands, and they are um, basically they are open source and secure blockchain infrastructure that businesses can use to tokenize their financial instruments. Okay, that's a big mouthful. How Sabine got to this side of the world, excuse me, of technology is a really interesting story. So she's going to talk about that. She has an insatiable appetite for learning and for connecting people and also for new technologies. She's lived in Barcelona. She is a travel monster. She loves to travel. She has uh, has a great story about Kenya and how she ended up there right around COVID. She's going to talk about that for a little bit. She's just going to talk about the idea of finding your sort of niche in a way like there's so many technologies out there. How do you know what you're going to want to sink your teeth into. And so she tells some really beautiful stories about how she ended up here. And it was because of a personal experience that happened to her financially when she was living in Barcelona. So something always leads to something else, right? So stay tuned for this next episode with Sabine. Welcome back to Tiny Little Victories. I'm your host, Jennifer Kite-Powell, and today I have with you, for you, on the phone, another Dutch person. Yes, another Dutch person. And I feel like we need some claps there because we love the Dutch people. Yay, yay, yay. And I have with you on the phone, Sabine De Devite. how are we saying your last name? I've never even called you by your last name.
0: No, nobody does. De Witte, officially in Dutch.
1: I lose? Dele- De Vita. Oh, De Vita. See, that's so beautiful. And everyone will know that I literally murder all the Dutch people's last name except for Mark de Cock, which is like on almost unmurderable. But yes, Sabine is the chief of staff for the Dust Network in the Netherlands, and I have known Sabine. I've known you for a very long time. And the first time we met, I remember we were sitting outside this beautiful sunny day at Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. But you weren't doing what you were doing now. You started out as an influencer, and, and um, I think you were doing influencing, you were traveling a lot, like, you were a writer, you were a tech journalist, and now you've, like, reversed it. Now you're doing PR, now you're doing chief of staffing, like, how did that come about?
0: Yeah, uh, that's right. Well, basically, I did a reverse version of you. <laughs> you started in PR and writing all the other stuff now. <laughs>
1: That's so true. We're just switching jobs yeah. back and forth. I love that.
0: Yeah, well, basically from the job writing, I rolled into travel journalism, which I still do as a side job. Yeah. But to be, like, uh, authentic and, uh, yeah, yeah, able to be uh, opinionated, it is very hard to make a living out of it. <laughs> so. Yeah, you know what's so
1: sad, though, isn't it? Isn't that sad? It is super it's sad. It's like, yeah. it's what... It's because what everybody wants this but yet they make it so hard to make a living out of it and you are so good at it we're gonna get to all your travel writing later but so you you're hard to make a living so how did that bring you to the dust network then is that is that why you ended up at the dust network
0: uh yes yeah, sort of well um after, mm-hmm. okay after realizing that uh, making a living out of only travel was quite impossible i was looking for gigs Um, that feed my other interests, which are mainly technology. That's also how we ended up at Mobile World Conference. Um, Exactly. And I still love all things tech. And I was one of the lucky few who ended up in the Bitcoin crypto hype in 2013. Uh, Yeah, 2013. And it really got my interest, but I never knew how to make that into a living. And then one day, everything fell to place. I started working at a self software identity startup in Berlin. So I traveled back and forth every month from Amsterdam. Uh,
1: but getting the travel in there, you like that. Yes,
0: exactly. Never not traveling. Never not traveling. And then after a while, <laughs> um, well, they didn't have enough funding. So I needed to quit that job. Mm-hmm. And then I found Dust mm-hmm. Network. And basically, it's the first blockchain for regulated assets. Um, they are very much into privacy, oh. and I also think privacy is one of the most underestimated things in the world and in human uh, life. Oh, my
1: God. I totally agree with you. Yeah. So
0: that well, well that basically got me interested, and I started doing a part-time job there in PR, and by now I'm full-time chief of staffing.
1: This makes good sense for you. And also, can we just get the Wayback Machine? I didn't know that you had jumped into crypto after you had left the tech writing. That's so interesting. What made you attracted to that that was probably a good time to be like all caught up in crypto now not so great but maybe now <laughs> yeah.
0: well i lived in barcelona for quite some time between 2009 to 2011 and back then there was the big crisis and mm-hmm. i had money in for a spanish bank yes yeah. and from one account just all of a sudden i couldn't access my money anymore and that got me thinking like Wow. How is our That's finance? so scary. Yeah, it is, right? I mean, you think you have your own money safe at the bank, and that turned out not to be. And then yes. never got it back because back then yeah. there were not. Now, yeah, I
1: think we were, we just got cut off. Could be, I'm, for, for the listeners out there, I'm in the middle of a really mean thunderstorm at the moment. And um, we decided to go ahead and have this call, so that would be interesting. So if you guys hear thunder or the recording is weird, it's because there's thunder and the recording is weird. Um, we're going to take a break and come back to this interview with Sabina. Hey folks, welcome back to Tiny Little Victories. This is the first time we've actually done this, but we're taking a little break mid-interview because when this was pre-recorded a couple of weeks ago, I was in the middle of a very severe thunderstorm in Dallas, Texas, and... One thing I've learned about living in Texas is that thunderstorms are really scary things. So I lost power and could not get connected and there was a lot of thunder. So my conversation with Sabine is now split into two pieces and um, I've tried to edit it as much as possible, but I mean, a thunderstorm, what can you do? It just blew up out of nowhere. So um, I'm glad you stuck around. And here is part two of the interview with Sabine DeVita. Okay, everybody, welcome back to Tiny Little Victories. We did have a little technical glitch because there was thunder and lightning, but Sabine, you're still with us, right?
0: I am. It's the chemistry Absolutely. between us that was hidden there. Yes, Yes,
1: it's girl power, girl power. <laughs> um, I. We had started talking about how you ended up into crypto and um, could you tell us that story about what personally happened to you when you were living in Spain and how you ended up in this world and how that brought you to um, where you are now at the Dust Network?
0: Yeah, I lived in Spain in 2009 to 2011 so in the midst of the first crisis back then. And once I went to an ATM wanted to get some money out of it and my bank account was not available. It didn't exist anymore. It was just <sighs> vanished. Even so with scary. My money. Yeah, and I had no <laughs> clue uh, whatsoever how the banking system worked. I had no interest in anything finance ever. <laughs> But this triggered me and uh, yeah. yeah, I did a little research and it's so vulnerable, the whole system. Yeah, I think yeah. everyone has seen the big short and all the movies about that time. And it sparked some interest about we need to change the system. And then I talked mm-hmm. about it with a few friends and one of my friends was writing uh, software for uh, the stock markets. And he early on got an interest and uh, connection with crypto. And he told me, like, you should look into, back then, only Bitcoin. And yeah, I did. So I went to first meetings. I got my first crypto. But I never really knew what to do with it. I I also felt, as a woman, I didn't understand a thing about the technology behind it. Oh, my it. God.
1: Can we? That is so, you know what? That is so interesting that you should say that. Because you see a lot. I was at an event a couple of years ago in New York where I was moderating a a crypto panel. And the conversation that kept coming up was like, you guys, there's not a lot of women in here, but there are a lot of women crypto investors. So why are we not? Why are we not educating women about this? Like, why can't we bring more women into this?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. Very good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's still an mm-hmm. issue in the whole space. But yeah, yeah, I also, for a long time, I thought, as long as I don't understand the technology, nobody will take me serious about this topic. But that's wrong. There's other parts and elements that you do understand that you can explain, that you can educate about. So I started doing that. And then for some reason, the universe connected me to a startup in Berlin, which (laughs) did self-sovereign identity, um, which is sort of crypto, but mainly blockchain technology. And yeah, over the years, I also knew that the interest i had was not per se in the financial aspect of crypto mm-hmm. basically it's been ruined by the traders yeah if that you was, ask me
1: yeah yeah no i agree with you 100 totally ruined I, I agree yeah
0: i love like the, the whole manifesto behind uh, it the cyberpunk idea like back to equal uh, financial options but that is not yeah. the case and uh, yeah. after a while i had to quit that startup in berlin uh money thing of course startups you know all about it startups yeah yeah (laughs) yep
1: yeah i sure do it sounds great they're all hyper over it and then all of a sudden it's like oops we have no money
0: bye exactly so it was quite hard um because i was really enjoying the work there and then i discovered Mm. another great project and it was Dusk network where i'm now at okay
1: yeah and um you make a really interesting distinction here between you know crypto and finance and then blockchain because i i love blockchain i think it's so fascinating how it really connects assets and sec- security and I, I do think that that is a longer living technology that can be applied just in so many ways in the world to you know food security to you know carbon emissions just just to everything really yeah. and so what what was it about the dust network that that um it sort of attracted you but because it, it wasn't blockchain, but was it this an evolution of where you were from the startup in Berlin or?
0: No, it, it got me back to the moment when I was in Barcelona trying to get my money. Mm. Um, the whole system <laughs> is so broke and it's relying on debts. It's relying on the big uh, institutions holding each other's hand instead of fighting for the individuals mm-hmm. and their resources. Um, mm-hmm. a, a great example, it's 2023 and then still the stock market closes over the weekend.
1: Oh, that's a great example. That's so true.
0: How? What? We live in a 24-7 economy. If you don't reply to an email in an hour, you get already like canceled almost.
1: But Totally. And actually also, it's like even worse than that because the stock market on the, is in New York for us here. And it, they close at like, what, three or something? They stop trading at whatever time that is. Well, that's like 12 in California, like so, that's a whole day, a whole half a day. Yeah, like done.
0: It doesn't make sense in these times. Yeah,
1: it's, it's the same yeah. with
0: all the bankings who control your assets. You don't have any control. Mm. You have to do KYC by five different parties. Anti money laundering. Yes. <laughs> recently, so true. My, my own Dutch bank account closed me off because I was traveling. Yeah, that's what I do. Oh yeah, I ha- since I'm a yeah. client, how can you? Just- yeah, yeah. Well that, that you know what, you know what? This
1: is a really good point because I when I lived in Europe, I had the same problems. Like I had an American bank, but I had a Dutch bank account, I lived in France, I had a French bank account. It's very almost impossible to get a UK bank account as an as a total outsider without $350,000 to put in there. But um they would often close my account because I was traveling. Yep. Oh, you've been traveling. Yeah, I know. You know that. Like I've told you. Like, what's the big deal?
0: Exactly. And it's also, it, it's not something new. I had that account for 15 years. They they see me travel yeah. every month. So yeah. what's so yeah. new? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I have happen- control though, right? Yeah, it's control. And also um, their power, it's also showing off that they can do it. And I don't mm. like oh, that. Yeah. I feel, uh, yeah. especially since this incident, that my bank is spying on me instead of protecting my money.
1: yeah yeah i don't think they're protecting our money because they're making money off our money
0: that also yeah yeah it's bizarre right and especially with the negative yeah no it is you have to pay to store your money at the bank Uh, excuse me yeah yeah yeah
1: exactly it's such a if you think about it that way i love the way you're putting it because it is such an antiquated way like it hasn't kept up with how people are living their lives and i think you as a traveler but I could see where, you know, crypto was so alluring because it allows you to be able to just be anywhere and be anybody and have access and control, but it's just didn't, for some reason, we could probably get a whole bunch of people on here to talk about why that didn't work. And you could probably talk about why it didn't work. So, hey, while we're on this subject, what is going to happen with banks? Do you want to talk about that for a minute, then? Yeah, I mean,
0: of course. Well, the thing <laughs> is, they have they are struggling with the innovation. And instead of embracing it and seeing how they can work together, They try to build Mm -hmm. their own blockchains on top of their own old data systems and make their own data spaghettis that are not, (laughs) not decentralized, not transparent at all. And Mm -hmm. uh, on the other side, they ask for regulation for crypto because they're scared and the thing is what they ask for is public transparency. But if I lose my bank banking card, I don't need to share every detail online or with everyone. And if I have my bank statements, they're private. So why should all my crypto stuff be out there? And why should everything be visible for banks and governments?
1: That's so true. That is so true. These are such good questions because I don't think. People are really I mean, you're thinking about it, obviously, but I think it makes sense. Like you don't want you want privacy is so important. I agree with you, like digital privacy, banking privacy, and yet you know, they they seem to have a good argument, but yet if you look at it under the hood, it's not a great argument. Like you just said, like why should those things, my private things, be transparent like that? Like, but these other things don't have to be. Exactly, and the, it's such a it's, it's a hypocrisy.
0: Yeah, and they measure with two means because yeah, the anti money laundering is nice, but most of the money laundering is with cash, so you can mm. register everything digitally. But if it's not a digital transaction, it's very likely there's still fraud. Is it a
1: fixable system? I I mean, they have all the power. Do they have all the power?
0: They claim they have. But I think they Mm. want all the power. And like the CBDCs, I used to love the idea of a digital currency. But by now, I think it's more of a means of control instead of a democratic system that gives civilians power over the digital assets. And that's why I'm very much, uh, yeah, happy at dusk what we do, changing that system. And it takes a long, long time, both technical but also educational, yeah. Um, yeah. lobby-wise. Behavior. I mean, behavior, yeah. yeah. And when yeah. I discuss this with my friends, they're like, yeah, it's my bank. They have control. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what you think now until we have another crisis coming up, which is not unlikely. Yeah.
1: Well, it's also not probably far off.
0: Exactly, <laughs> but I've been saying that for three years now, so my friends don't believe yeah. me there anymore. <laughs> yeah,
1: I don't. It is quite scary. I mean, I know I didn't think we were going to talk about banking regulation this much, but it's fascinating, and I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated because you of of where you're coming from in terms of like your ideology. You know, you said yeah, you like the idea of this ideology, but you also don't understand why you know big banks have to tend to maintain this control, and I, I. I wonder, like, how are you going to educate people about this? Because I think the crypto people really ruined a lot of the um, trust factor in what was happening with crypto. But it does seem to be, is there a medium? Is there a, a gray area we can move into? And before the next crash, the impending <laughs> crash.
0: Well, I think there's a lot of neobanks doing a great job. Um, there's this Dutch bank bank, which uh, is focusing completely on People like me traveling a lot, um, mm-hmm. um, interested in multiple assets. Um, yeah, you mm. want to easily uh, share money with friends, pay them back for everything they pay for you.
1: Yeah, I don't yeah. want
0: the hassle of a bank interfering into that. So I, I do see yeah. there's a lot of promising uh, opportunity there. And mm-hmm. yeah, the educational part. I think for, for example, for the regulation that we have uh, now in the Europe, Mika, there has been a great part and a great deal in okay, we will embrace this technology, but uh, we need rules. And I'm all all up mm-hmm. for legislation and legislation, let, let that be clear. But mm-hmm. there was no seat at the table for any developers, for people with the vision oh. of people building it. And I think it was still
1: the legacy legacy people at the table.
0: The legacy and the traditional financial institutions.
1: Interesting. Yeah. So still locking out blocking out all the innovators.
0: Exactly exactly and yeah i hope that we can educate them now uh, with okay we have the set of rules they all accepted it and they also saw the flaws that it had in making mm-hmm. it so let's mm-hmm. continue the conversation with the people who are building it and don't yeah, approach like it yeah and don't approach it as something scary i mean we, we remember the be- uh, the days of the internet right that was scary yes. as well but we didn't. well i also it.
1: remember no, we didn't block it. And we could, we could like level up that a little bit. I mean, actually when you and I met was, you know, in the two 2009, I've been talking to a lot of Dutch people, obviously, because I think Dutch, the Dutch culture and the Dutch people are innovators. They are sort of out there in front, the emerging technology, they tend to be, um, they, they tend to take chances, right? They, they tend to be at the head of the curve. And at that time, they were really one of the only populations in Europe that was really heavy into smartphones, right? If yeah. you remember, everywhere you would go into a Mobile Monday in Bar in, a, in Amsterdam, they would say, "Oh, you guys are the you're the phone people. Put your phones down." Like all the Dutch guys would come in, the Dutch Dutch mafia, or all those guys. You all had phones yeah. like way before. And I think you know you could you said something really interesting about um, you know it's scary in the internet. It was scary, but look how f- fast. People are running with artificial intelligence and chat GPT, like running with scissors with their hair on fire. That's scarier to me than fixing the banking problem, right? Like, it's scary to the financial institutions who are protecting themselves, but yet everybody else is just so willing to just run with chat GPT with not even thinking about the things that it could cause. And so your point about, be, you know, scary, yes, it's scary. But we have to do it, though. We have to change the market, change behavior. I think you have to take these chances to bring everybody to the table.
0: Can I get a name and forget? Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> snaps? How <laughs> about some snaps? How about some snaps? I said it, but yeah, you know. Um, well, um What, if we take a little step sideways, are you still traveling? And you just were in Kenya, is that right? What were you, tell me where you've been recently because we tried to do this podcast. You're like, no, I'm sorry. I'm in Kenya climbing something. (laughs) Uh, Where have you been? Where are you still traveling?
0: I am still traveling a lot. um, And I have been blessed with a friend who moved to Kenya in 2019. And I had no interest in Africa. I never set a foot there before. (laughs) Uh, But then she moved there with her family. planning to come back anytime soon so if i wanted yeah. to see her i had to go and then COVID hit. i love this so in 2020 oh my God. i still have my um journalist press access so i was yeah. able to roam around the rules of not traveling and i decided wow. to visit her and it was supposed to be a three and a half week holiday but then the yeah. dutch uh, government decided that you needed to have a COVID test four hours prior your flight well you yeah. can already figure that's not going to happen in Africa. Yeah,
1: it's not going to happen. No, it's not. <laughs> exactly.
0: So I was stuck. Um, and by the end what? of the stay, it was two months in that I was spending in Kenya. And I discovered that it's a great place to work from. And uh, they have millions of co-working places in Nairobi. It's what? a very, very cosmopolitan city. They have a very, very lively fintech and crypto scene. So, yeah, you already noticed my enthusiasm. I yes, I, I need, do. I love it. I, I love it. I be here more often. So this is what I basically do now every winter. <gasps> I spend my winter months, which are horrible in the Netherlands, um, yes, in Canada. Yes. So I visit my friend, I spend time with her family. Back then, uh, the first time she was uh, pregnant of her second child, mm-hmm. nobody was able to visit. So it was very intimate as well to spend time with her. Yes.
1: Oh, my God. I love you. okay, you know, everybody, one of the things I love, I've always admired about Sabine is her relentless passion and her enthusiasm just to go out in the world and make it her way. Like I've always admired that about you. And this is such a charming story to me because you you didn't have any idea you wanted to go to Africa. And now you're ended up you're ended up like like half the time working there. And bringing this, you can hear, I can hear the smile in your voice when you were talking about Nairobi and the energy and like, you know, I didn't, I didn't know they had a lively fintech and crypto scene. Like this is such an amazing journey for you and how, shows how important travel is to, to uh, opening the world up to people.
0: Yeah. And I think that's something we have in common. Thanks for all the kind words, yeah. by the way. But I think staying, <laughs> You're welcome. staying curious forever yeah. is what keeps you young, what keeps you enthusiastic, energetic if you just sit at home and you can't be joy- feeling any joy about everything
1: yeah, yeah shoot totally me agree. now
0: um i rather yeah to
1: me too <laughs> i'm with you like
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah and I, I understand that for some people it's not possible or they have other um, goals in life which is totally fine but i don't yeah. have that i tried the whole civil life uh, living together yeah. <laughs> i had two cats a garden yeah yeah It was just not for me. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah. And you know what, though? You tried it, though. That's
1: the other thing. Like, that's another very cool thing about you. I think it's why, you know, stay curious forever is that you didn't, you wouldn't know if you hadn't tried that. So you tried that. Like, you, you did all those things. And your idea of just, I don't know anything about the banking system and having the banking system literally, like, you know, kind of fundamentally break you down, also brought you into crypto and blockchain, which has also enabled you to continue these travels and then like share this part of the world with people. I mean, it's it's truly you are a connector. I do think you're a connector. And I do think I feel like you've made most of your life about connecting companies and people. But yet you yourself are living that experience. Yeah. Connecting yourself to those things.
0: Yeah, yeah. Maybe you're right. I mean, if I look back at <laughs> all the stuff I've done, I've successfully filled a dating startup app. Uh, yeah. You, the things yeah. I've done, it's hilarious. But everything yeah. is, i rather die trying than yeah. not trying. I mean, half of the yeah, things fail. Absolutely. But the, the two things that succeed, that's what I'm living for. And connecting yeah, I- people, connecting places, connecting Things together yeah. is my is my purpose in life, I think.
1: Well, yeah, you could feel it. I mean, that story about Kenya and you didn't want to go is three and a half weeks, then COVID came and then two, you know, that is still connecting yourself to things and sort of putting yourself in the heartbeat of the things that make you happy. And, you know, I I love your anal- your thought around things that fail and then the two things that succeed. And I've sort of changed my philosophy about that lately. And I've been saying like Oh someone said to me recently, oh but that was that that didn't work out. I'm like actually it did work out because it taught me that that's not what I wanted to do. So to me it was a success. Exactly. So I've I've, cha- I've changed and now I don't feel like regret is even a thing either. Like I I don't feel like I have any regrets because every choice led me someplace else. Like if if I didn't experience that, I wouldn't be sitting here doing this.
0: Exactly. If I didn't fill the first startup, I wouldn't have noticed the startup yes. scene, which is the scene that I love the most yes. because that's where things are created. That's where the magic happens. That's where innovation yes. comes from. And yeah, I think life without innovation is just very basic.
1: Oh my God, I love that. That's the be- We're going to put that. That's going to be in the notes. That may be the whole name of your podcast, Life Without Innovation, like, would be... Basic,
0: <laughs> but I think also um, we have an easy way of, of mentioning all this and doing this because we have the yeah. white girl privilege in our case. But I think that's yes, also I, why it's so important <laughs> to share. And that's why I love this podcast. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Um,
1: you know, that's true about the white girl privilege, and I think, I think also in a way, the things that you've done, you shared with everybody, like you're so unassuming in that way and you're so generous with how you share with people. And I, I think that is a good way to lead, you know, a good way to lead, a good way to bring people together because it's just sort of missing, Sabine. Like people don't people don't have that genuineness about them the way you do, that you bring people together. And I wish more people lived like you. I wish more people were able to come to the table and take those chances because those are the kind of people I like to be around. And and part of the reason starting this podcast was was really an homage to people like you and all the people that I've met in my travels around the world in Europe, and I I think I might be enjoying these conversations more than anybody. So I don't know. I don't know how that's going, but everybody's uh, got such an amazing story, and uh, I guess my I want to ask you with one more question before we run out of time. We have to talk about this because we always talk about this on these podcasts with everybody that's Dutch because I love you all. What is your favorite Dutch food? Like what Dutch foods are you missing that when you travel to Kenya maybe, or do you just not like all Dutch food? (laughs)
0: Well, I'm not keen on Dutch food unless it's. Okay, it could be the first person. Yeah, um, okay, what
1: is it then? Yeah,
0: then it's stamppot and It's like the mash. Oh yeah, <laughs>
1: the potatoes, exactly. the potatoes. I actually had it yeah. yesterday
0: because the spring weather is not coming to Amsterdam this year or something. Spring is cancelled. Yeah,
1: that's what I heard. Yeah,
0: so that I do like, <laughs> but uh, and it feels like more comfort food. But it's not how cuisine yeah. or. I would not recommend no. you to come to the Netherlands for its food.
1: Yeah, no, not even a bitter ball in that I love, but yeah, you wouldn't come amazing. there for that. They are amazing,
0: and my, my secret yeah, favorite see? is Frikandel <laughs> Fischel. That's oh yeah, Frikandel, Yes, yeah.
1: Tell us, tell the, tell the world what Frikandel is.
0: <laughs> it's officially disgusting, but <laughs> it's like a combination of all leftover meat that's <laughs> pressed, <laughs> and then you cut it in the middle and you put mayonnaise, uh, curry, and yeah. onions in it. And that's like the sp- so good special treatment, and it's so good.
1: Yeah, it is good. You can get them out of a little kiosk. You put, a, like, a euro in. You can open it up and get it out of that little machine. I love that over there, the little automats, the food automats. Yeah.
0: It is funny that a few of the uh, restaurants here are making it a haute cuisine snack. So they're fi- serving it in restaurants now, making it...
1: With wine, yeah,
0: with a wine wine, pairing, like really delicious (laughs) organic meat, that kind of stuff.
1: So they're upgrading. Oh my
0: god. But, um, oh my god. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I want to see a wine pairing with that. Like what would you drink with a ficadal special? Like what wine would you drink with that? Because you and I've drunk a lot of wine together.
0: Yes. I remember what? the Paris days.
1: <laughs> yes, the Paris days. Which was the last time I saw you? We used to sit in Paris and just drink wine and that's how it should be. Drinking wine and talking about things and the future and what should be and what men should not be
0: and uh, <laughs> all that <laughs> exactly well I, I would serve a um, champagne with a frikando special that's a great combination oh yeah oh
1: that, that's a oh that's a great idea yeah i
0: also think that there's way too little champagne being drink uh, drunk at unnecessary occasions i mean it's yeah it's I, I agree wednesday you know what? i agree with you about bottle. that yeah
1: well yeah it's wednesday you you know what in it's your dinner time it's my lunchtime and it is pouring down rain here with a thunderstorm and this is the last thing I'm doing today so I will be popping open a bottle in honor of this podcast with you. I don't have any freaking dell sadly. But um, I'm going to pop a, a pop a glass and I agree with you. Champagne is not consumed enough. I agree. <laughs>
0: well, cheers to that. Thanks for having me. Cheers to that. And thank you, Sabine, so much. It's great to be a guest on this. And you're such a great connector because if you didn't have all these connections, there wouldn't have been this podcast. Oh my
1: gosh, good point. Well, thank you so much. I take it and I hope that you'll come back and you'll keep us up to date with what's going on. And hey, maybe next time you go to Kenya, we can have a chat from Kenya and you can take us into one of these uh, um, working pods in Nairobi. I think that would be pretty cool. Yeah,
0: that sounds like a great idea. Okay. Okay, great. Well, have a great night. Thank you. Have a nice lunch. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
1: Hey, folks. Thanks for sticking around for that episode with Savine DeVita. I love her story and how she discovered um, part of her passion for how she wanted to work and the people she wanted to work with by something personal that happened to her. So I think she brings up a lot of great issues about blockchain, about traditional banking. um, And I love the way she put it in the perspective of the consumer, which is really what we need to understand these things and being able to make good, smart decisions. So, um, next week on Tiny Little Victories, we have, um, Haley Tsukayama, and she is a senior legislative activist at the Electronic Frontier Foundation. So, wow, it's pretty amazing. I'm going to put it in the notes and she is going to talk to us about, um, digital uh, privacy and your civil liberties online, and she actually started out as a Washington um, Post technology reporter. She's fascinating. She has so many interesting viewpoints of how she came into digital privacy, privacy breaches, um, state legislature work, which is the most of the work that she does at the state level, but also the things that we can do as consumers to maybe sort of be more aware and champion. Um, champion our own privacy, which I think is really important. Maybe sometimes we forget about that as we're all over the internet. But yeah, so take a minute if you want to, please share this podcast. We are everywhere you get podcasts. So Apple Podcasts, Google Music, Amazon Podcasts, I probably have those backwards. Spotify, of course, go Spotify. And iHeartRadio, we're all over the place. You just type us in, tiny little victories, and we will be there for you. And thank you for your sharing. And I will see you next week on Tiny Little Victories with Haley Tsukuyama.